Welcome to the creative brain of Dean Hawk. Get ready to be challenged, inspired, and equipped to become a better ministry leader. Hey, we're so glad to have you join us again in our leadership podcast. My name is Dean. Thank you for listening, watching this month. I encourage you to check out all of our resources that are free at deanhawk.com, sermon series, and uh, uh, that includes the teaching outlines, the handouts, the PowerPoints, the graphics, and all the great stuff to help you minister to your congregation. This month, the title of our podcast is Relationship-Driven Leadership. A lot of times people might have title-driven relationship with their staff, or they might be a results-driven type of relationship with their staff. And I want to talk to you about something that has been a part of my leadership DNA for many, many years. And, And the more that this goes on, it's becoming especially in reaching the millennials and the Zs and the younger generations, relational leadership uh, is become very crucial in connecting with those generations. And so I just want to share some qualities of being a relational leader. Jot them down, if you will. The first one is this. A relationship-driven leader will focus on people first, not power, not position, or performance. I'm going to say that again. Focus on people first, not power, not your position or performance. Power and position, the focus is on me. I want you to to do what I say and and, uh, position and, and having the corner office and all of those things. As leaders, we need to care more about people. And so when we're caring about people, what does that look like? over their performance. I would ask you, Did you were you aware that your uh, assistant's daughter was in a softball tournament and that they won the tournament this last weekend? Do you know that your youth pastor's wife changed jobs and, and is starting a new job next week? Do you take the time to ask and listen and to care for the people that are on your team, that are your employees, of simply asking them, how are you doing? What's God doing and saying in your life? And what I, why I say it goes above performance is this. When an employee is struggling in performance, that usually is a sign that something else is going on. And that's where we first need to investigate. Is there something that's causing the symptoms that I am seeing? An employee's performance is lacking and and they're not getting things done like they used to. And only that you then, as you investigate, you find out that their mother has been diagnosed with stage four cancer and has been given six months to live two weeks ago and they haven't been able to share it or to process it. And that is ultimately what's impacting their performance. There was a distraction. They're not a bad employee, but they're facing a family crisis. And so you'll lose a great employee if you don't know or care uh, about their personal life and you only reprimand them about their performance. Let's say that that, that uh, employee that their mother has been diagnosed with cancer. You reprimand them, reprimand them about you need to improve, you need to get on the ball, you need to shape it up, and you don't understand the context of their performance. They will end up saying that you are heartless, 
only about want performance. It's only about the bottom line, getting things done. They don't care about you as a person. They don't care about you as an employee. What people want to know is that their life is valued and that their family is valued. Secondly, a relationship-driven leader will esteem team members as friends. You say, hold the train. This is you got to be crazy. Well, I'm not crazy. I'm just doing what Jesus said. In John 15, 15, he said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus spent time with his team. He did life together with them. And one of the fears is that if we spend too much time together, that, that they'll disrespect us. Not if we, if we hold the line. Not if we don't cross the line of, of our, our role as pastor, as boss, and friend, that we have to be able to still make the hard calls and, and to still challenge them if they're not performing and still call them out. And we have to make that adjustment. And so as we, as we learn in that, one of the great books that I would encourage you to read is called The Ideal Team Player. And the ideal team player is how to get the right person that matches the chemistry of your team. And so that's going to help you get the right person on the team. But I esteem the people on my team as friends. That means it goes beyond just a work relationship that I want to know and understand the bigger picture of their life and that I share the things not just about the role and the duties and, and the obligations and the performance, but I'm sharing things about my world. I'm sharing things about my wife, about my children, about my dog. I'm sharing about my day. I'm sharing about my weekend. And we are expanding the circle of influence. Jesus spent time with his disciples, and he was imparting his life into theirs. Thirdly, a relationship-driven leader will have a 360-degree communication rather than one-sided conversations. That means I want to hear what you have to say. Too many leaders like to hear themselves more than anyone else. And we have to recognize that team members, their words, their wisdom, their ideas are just as important to be heard as mine as the leader. And I will tell you countless times I've walked into a staff meeting with a good idea and I threw that idea out on the table and I said, give me your thoughts and give me your feedback. And they weren't being yes men and yes women. Oh, pastor, that's an amazing idea. I've given them permission to give their opinions that I want to hear where they're really at and I seek their counsel and their wisdom. And they'll take what I thought was a great idea. In reality, it was only a good idea and because of their wisdom and hearing and listening to them, it became a God idea and a great idea. They advanced the cause. Number four, a relationship-driven leader will share the why and not just the what. See, too many times we share what I want you to do and what I want you to accomplish and, and, and what I want the youth ministry, the children ministry to be like. And we share the what, but we don't share the why. The why is what gives people purpose. The why is what gives them direction 
and why are we doing this? Example, if I say to our maintenance guy and I take him out in the field next to our parking lot and I tell him, I want you to dig a two foot hole that is four feet wide by eight feet long. God bless you. Well, he's out there in the hot sun digging a hole. I don't understand. This makes no sense. I just I, This is just stupid. Why in the world am I digging a hole? Why is pastor making me do this? But when I share the why, because next Saturday, we are going to have a men's tug of war over a two foot deep mud pit. Now, when he knows the why, he has purpose. This is going to be the best men's breakfast we've ever had. In fact, I'm not going to go two feet deep. I'm going to dig this thing three feet deep because I want whoever is pulled in there to really get soaked in the mud. Now he's motivated and now he grasps the big picture vision. Number five, a relationship-driven leader will be transparent and vulnerable first will be transparent and vulnerable first. The myth is if they see my weaknesses, if they see that I'm not perfect, they'll think less of me. And the exact opposite is true because they already know and can openly see where our weaknesses are at. And when we're open and honest, it endears them to us. The Bible tells us in the book of John, that Jesus wept when he found out that his friend Lazarus had died. His team members knew it. His team members saw it. But Jesus said, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to show this to you, that, that I have emotion and that I am, am feeling the sorrow of Lazarus dying. And I believe that it is being transparent that endears people to us and makes them committed to us when they hear and know and see our heart. If I'm going to do a heart transplant, they're going to cut my sternum and they're going to put a rib spreader on so that they can have access to my heart. And that is the mindset that we have to have as senior leaders, that we need to split our rib cage, our spiritual rib cage, and we need to open our soul so that people can, our heart is exposed. And when they hear our heart and our passion for the lost, they hear in my situation that, that man, I, I want to invest in kids and I want to reach kids in the, in the community and I want to introduce them to the love of Jesus Christ, that I'm more, that's, that's a passion of, of who I want to, want to reach. And that's why we have an ice cream truck that goes out on Saturdays and gives away free ice cream to kids and to parents to draw them into the kingdom of God. The Bible says that we are fishers of men. I see that as bait, that we got to have something on the end of the hook to draw them in. Dr. Henry Cloud said this, he said, the leaders who accomplish the most, thrive the most, overcome the most, are not afraid to say they need help. I can't do this myself. I need you guys to come along. Number six, a relationship-driven leader will make it safe to make mistakes. See, I've, I've been around organizations, many organizations in the last uh, almost four decades of doing ministry. And if you've ever worked under a leader that doesn't tolerate mistakes, maybe it was, maybe it was one of your first jobs as a teenager or in college, and, and here's ultimately what happens, and I see this in churches as well. It is a fear-driven organization. Don't make a mistake. Don't let anyone know that you failed. You've, you've got to cover. You've got to hide. And so people are, 
are functioning in fear and they're afraid to step out and try something new. They're afraid to to expand because what if it fails? Because the whole litmus test is if you fail, then you're a failure. And I think it's, it's great that people know it is safe to make mistakes. I'll say to my staff when they present an idea, I'll say, I'm not sure, but why not? Let's go for it. Let's see if we could reach some people. Maybe we'll spend $2,500 on this project, on this outreach, and maybe it won't reach anybody. But what if it reached 500 people? What if it made a difference? And let's teach them that making a mistake doesn't make you a mistake. And that when we make a mistake, that we're quick to forgive, quick to restore. And that the biggest thing is that I want our staff to do is to learn from their mistakes. Now, if we're repeating, 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 now we have an issue we need to discuss. But we're all going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. Number seven, a relationship-driven leader will value their team member's family. We need to know your employees' spouses' names. You need to know their children's names. You need to know and learn and engage with them. And that that is part of being a relationship-driven leader. Um, about a year ago, one of the children of, of our production team, uh, uh, husband and wife work on our production team, their son was walking down the hall, and I knew they had just recently gotten two new uh, golden, golden doodles, and I wasn't sure of the dog's names, and so I saw Gabriel uh, was passing by my office door as he wandered through the office looking for his mom and dad. And my door was cracked open and I called out and I said, hey, Gabriel, number one, I knew his name. <laughs> number two, I said, you know what? Here is a moment that I can just say hello to him. I want to find out about his dogs. And so I called him into my office, asked him some questions about his dog. We chit chatted for the moment and then he went on his way. Here's what's interesting. That night, he asked his mom, and he said, who's the boss at the church? <laughs> Just in the way an elementary student might would say it. And, and she told him that it was, it was me, it was Dean, the, he's the senior pastor that you talked with. He said, I can't believe he just let me hang out and talk about my dogs. Well, what does that say to the parent of, of an employee that's a parent and I address time with their kids? Here's what it said. You value me because you valued my kids. What does it say when I say to my youth pastor, your daughter's got a, a volleyball tournament that has rolled over into Sunday because they've been winning. You need to go to Denver and you need to be at your daughter's volleyball tournament. It's saying, I value you. I value your family. I value your children. I value your relationships. And it increases the value of our team and it increases our output as a team. Number eight, a relationship-driven leader will coach and equip their team for success. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it unpacks four principles that I'm going to end with. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These last four are pulled from Acts 2.42. The first one is apostles teaching, and that is to coach and equip their team for success. That my role as a relationship-driven leader is to empower, equip, coach, 
teach and train my team with the wisdom and the knowledge that I have to empower them and equip them so that they can do a better job. I want to take my several decades of experience and help someone who maybe has a year or two of experience and advance them quicker and faster and and advance them so they don't have to do the time, but I'm going to share the time that I have to help them achieve more in a less amount of time. And one of the greatest frustrations I have heard from staff members across the nation as I travel and and talk to different staff members is, I never have a chance to talk or communicate with my senior pastor. And I would ask you, how can you influence your team? How can you influence your staff if you're not coaching them? Secondly, it talked about Next 242 Fellowship, and that's point number nine. A relationship-driven leader will create opportunities for koinonia. The word koinonia is the Greek word for that is used there in that passage, and it's referring to fellowship, it's referring to sharing in common, and communion. That where, where, how do we come together? That as we spend time with our, our team in fellowship, the greater our fellowship, the greater our unity. And I take Mondays, I take my lead team pastors, my male lead team pastors, Kim takes female. I take my male lead team pastors and we go to lunch every Monday. And this is for a fellowship. This is to build community. And we'll talk about sports and news and and COVID-19. We'll talk about uh, family and, and things that we've done and hobbies and different things coming up in our lives. But then the conversation always steers back around to what are you reading? What are you feeding on in God's word? What books are you reading? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you, challenging you? And where is he growing, growing you? And, and, and how are you and Jesus doing? We'll evolve some of those, sometimes all of those questions, some of those questions, but it's a part of our dialogue. And I am there sharing as well. I'm being vulnerable. I'm being transparent, but we're fellowshipping together and we're sharing our lives and we're sharing what God is saying in us and through us. And then it says that they broke bread together. And number 10 is a relationship driven leader will create a family culture. You show me a family that is having five to six evening meals per week together, and I'm going to show you a family that is knit together of one mind, one spirit, and one purpose. And that family culture is saying everyone is important. I'm not more important because I'm the senior pastor, and you're less important because you hold a different position within the church. But those family gatherings, and for us, that might be having our entire Uh, staff over to our house and we're putting something on the barbecue and we're grilling something. We're playing volleyball in in my backyard. We're hanging out. We're being real together, but we're creating the family culture that we live and do life together and we defend one another. You see, we might as family members uh, quarrel but no one, no one's going to pick on my brother. No one's going to pick on my sister. We are going to defend each other publicly. And if you want to discover the heart and true nature of a person, fill them up with their favorite food, let them get relaxed, and you'll find out all kinds of amazing stories and insights about them. And so I just love it when our lead team gets together, when all of our staff gets together, we break bread together. Sometimes we'll order in lunch for the whole staff and we'll sit in our in our uh, gathering room and we'll just hang out and do 
do life together. And the last one is this. We see in Acts 2.42, they prayed together. And a relationship-driven leader will embrace corporate prayer. Yes, I pray a lot on my own, and I have my own private prayer times. But it's important that we embrace corporate prayer. Every Monday morning, our, our staff gathers together and we pray together. We go to the throne room together. And there is nothing more powerful and unifying than going to the throne of God together. And so as we unite in faith for people to be born again, to be healed, to their lives to be ministered and transformed, to pray for our city, pray for other churches, praying over this whole COVID-19 situation, praying for the over the upcoming elections, when we openly can pray in front of each other and be transparent with our emotions, there's a heart connection that takes place. I want to challenge you. Be a relationship-driven leader. Maybe you say, well, well, I'm more introverted. I'm not, I'm not really that personal personality person. Use that to your advantage. An introverted person doesn't do well in the large crowds, but excels in the one-on-one, the one-on-two kind of connections. Adjust it for your personality and your vent, but I encourage and challenge you to grow in your relationship with the people God has sent to you to hold up your arms, I believe we should build and grow in our relationships with with them. So God bless you guys. Praying that you have an amazing September and praying that as we look to the fall that your churches are opening. I pray that your people are coming back and that your finances are strong and healthy. God bless you. We'll see you next month. Thank you for joining us today. For a free sermon series and teaching outlines by Pastor Dean, visit us at deanhawk.com. Be sure and join us next month as we continue our growth on leadership.